We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, BlueWire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with BlueWire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to... I don't know if they called a team meeting, or I don't know if these players told the team maybe a couple days ago they're all opting out. And then the team decided to kind of put it out now. It doesn't seem that way. It seems like it's just kind of trickling out as they go. Because I'm sure this is a decision to make. Like, these guys making this decision, I'm sure it was. They didn't take it lightly. It's something you had to talk to a lot of people about, talk to your family and friends, all your coaches, and see, okay, man, like, I'm just letting you know my real concerns I have for this season. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Power Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was former Packers linebacker A.J. Hawk on the Pat McAfee Show talking about the New England Patriots potentially making a group decision rather than individual ones in their decision to opt out of the 2020 football season. Ah, Chris, what a time to be alive. Yeah, it's a great time to be alive. It is a fantastic time to be alive. I'm pouring a little Buffalo Trace here on the rocks. You know, I have this... I'm essentially a glass of scotch away from the uh, George Thorogood trifecta here. You know, I've got some, uh, I've got some nice whiskey. I've got this amazing Utica Club beer. Yeah, Utica Club is fantastic. I still can't believe you've got me choking this swill down. Well, you got to, you got to deal with it. So, <laughs> and why do I have to deal with it, Chris? What did I do to? Because you brought over shitty Tostitos and Tostitos salsa. But what was wrong with the Tostitos? There's, for poor people. Well, what, what is it? Well, what White is it specifically trash. you don't like about them? Well, Tostitos is, uh, their chips are okay, but for salsa, you never get just the flat Tostitos. And specifically the chips, what is it that you didn't like? 
Well, that they're hint of lime, and hint of lime <laughs> are garbage chips for sure. What was the quote you gave me? The famous Chris Kruger quote: um, "They're for people who can't afford to go to a Mexican restaurant." Correct. God, you're such an ass. Folks, we've started this podcast on a roll, but it's nice. It's a loose show, you know? A chance for us all to just take a deep breath before the madness that is about to ensue. I mean, we talked about it in last week's podcast. Training camps have been given the green light, and we're just in the run-up to this. And yet, Chris, with the COVID situation developing around the country and with just what's going on with these opt-outs, there's a ton to talk about. I mean, here on our own, our quarantine update. Chris, do you know I went back and looked since last week I was delirious and had no idea what we, you know what I mean? It's been 19 weeks and four days since the first stay-at-home orders were issued here in Western New York. That's an entire NFL season. If the NFL season started the day we were told that we couldn't go do things and just to stop going out back on St. Paddy's Day weekend, they'd be playing the conference championships this weekend. Doesn't that put some of this into perspective for you? Yeah, that's a long-ass time. <laughs> 3,288 hours. That's what it breaks down to. If you wanted to do it in terms of podcasts, in terms of... But Chris, you could watch your favorite movie, Conehead, 2,568 times. Well, it is not my favorite movie. It is a very good comedy. Favorite movie is Slapshot. Of course it's Slapshot. Wildly overrated film. Chris, I could cook 9,394 DiGiorno pizzas. Obviously, that's where my mind goes, because food. Yeah, and half the time you'll just fall asleep <laughs> and leave it in the oven. It only happened once, all right? Carbon monoxide poisoning be damned. It's only happened once. I learned my lesson. And that, Chris, that 3,288 hours, that's, that's probably how long this week has felt like for Jets fans. There are no fans... Camp delayed, star players just committing arson against the franchise on their way out of the building. Chris, that's a hell of a week, right? Yeah, it is. It couldn't happen to a better group of people. Good things happening to people. Chris, you celebrated a birthday this weekend. Yeah, 36 on Saturday. It was fantastic. So thank you to everybody that said stuff to me on the Twitter. And that was uh, nice of you to put out a... Somewhat nice tweet about my birthday. <laughs> Usually it's every April and every July. It's one of us eviscerating the other, which you will never see me say anything nice to you on your birthday in a tweet. It'll always be, you're a piece of crap. You like food. How can you fit this whole turkey leg in your mouth like this? <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> and that's why we work, Chris. That's the magic between the two of us. It's funny. So we went out for brunch with Chris for his birthday. First of all, Chris was salty about the idea of brunch. I I don't mind brunch. As an institution, you don't mind brunch? No. Well, well, uh, whenever somebody says brunch to me, I think that bit from Bill Burr. It's like because it's like a, a it's, brunch is basically essentially it's a girlfriend slash wife idea. You want to go to brunch? And then as a man, in, in your head, you're like, no, I don't want to go. But you can't say that because you got to keep them happy. And then so you just try to make it like it's a like, yeah, what a great idea. Brunch. Let's go to brunch on Sunday. Why would I want to sleep in when I can go pay $18 for eggs? Now <laughs> you're thinking. 
And that's essentially how it turned out, Chris. Yeah. We, we ended up... It was, it's, a, it's a typical girlfriend idea. It sucks, and it's going to take all Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my weekend went, I think, a little bit better. I mean, I didn't get any older. I mean, Chris, you're probably... Look at this, though. Your claim to fame can now be you're the only 36-year-old who looks like a cockatiel in the city of Buffalo. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, if you want to go over to Rockpile, at Rockpile Report on Twitter, you can check out the photos. I finished my project, Smoker. Woodwork's redone. The body's been hand-sanded and repainted. Chris, I got to run a MIG welder for the first time. How do you think that went? Um, I bet it went okay for you. Because you look like a guy that that's what you would get on a Wonderlick test is <laughs> welder. <laughs> I think, based on my Wonderlick test scores on this podcast, I think that's an insult to welders. It could Clay- be Clayton from Coldfront Report is yeah. gonna have a bone to pick with you about this. I'm pretty sure he's insulted. Well, I do remember working with a dude in his. He used to work at a company that did a lot of welding, and they implemented a drug policy. So you had to take a drug test. But any of the good welders would fail the drug test, and all the bad <laughs> welders would pass the welding test and the uh, the drug test. So it just got to a point where they just canned the drug tests all together because <laughs> they couldn't find good welders. That sounds about right. I'll tell you, it was fun, though. A little, t- little scary, but it was fun. I, but now, of course, Chris, you know how my brain works. I've been shopping for them. Why do I need a MIG welder? I, the answer is I don't. Someone has to talk me out of this. But I think the real travesty that occurred this weekend, Chris, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I'm going to do it because I have to tell someone. It's like confession at church. I ate kale chips. Uh, And I uh... liked it. Chris, I didn't just like it. I came home from softball, half in the bag, and started two-fisting kale into my face. I don't know your wife eats kale chips. I didn't know about Chris. I wouldn't have allowed them to be made in my house if I had. If I could have been party to the decision, they wouldn't have existed. Well, you just in my said home. you just said made in the house. She made them. Yeah, I was gone, and I came home, and I was like, "What's this bowl of green shit?" And then I I tasted one, and I was like, "Ooh, it's a little crunchy. Got a little salt, a little olive oil, some pepper." And the next thing you know, I was eating it by the handful. I probably consumed about half a pound of it in a single sitting. So let me ask you this: After you had the kale chips, did you go on Amazon? And buy all of the TB12 books? <laughs> no. No, I haven't gone that qu- quite that far. But I'll tell you, I've all of a sudden got a new look at avocado. All of a sudden, avocado looking okay. Chris, we have something. First of all, i got to ask you. Tonight's show, this is a nice change of pace for us. To me, I, I told you it was the No Prep podcast. Yeah. This, so is like a, this is essentially like kind of a break show for us. Because training camp's going to begin next week, and there's going to be tons of new stories to go over, and this for the next till the rest of the year. It's well, here's what's funny: this is be the crazy. least amount of research and prep I've done for a show in probably a year. What I sent you is still seven pages long, just to give people an idea of what the hell goes on over here. But Chris, we just closed out our first month as professional podcasters. So with that, in no mind, one has ever said or would ever refer to us as professional podcasters. Right? I never thought, Chris, I never thought we'd be here. So this show is something like kind of a deep breath for us tonight. I mean, I feel relaxed. I'm loose. 
Chris, at the end of the end of all things, we're a couple of fans, just hard drinkers with some audio equipment and a pair of we're a pair of idiots who know just enough, just slightly more than the idiots that our listeners already hang out with at the bar or the, the garbage man that stops by once a week that listens to sports radio all day and thinks he knows everything. We we know just enough. We're just personable enough that people keep tuning in to hear what we have to say. We're surely not on-air personalities, if I could put that in quotes. I mean, for fuck's sake, you barely have enough personality in real life. I don't know that you could project a different persona into a podcast. No. (laughs) So, I want to tear down the fourth wall here a little bit for our listeners. Our first month of pro-podcasting under our belts, and as I kind of speculated that it would be, it was a real learning experience. So first, Chris, I cheers. Cheers. We made it a month. We We're made both it. alive. We didn't kill each other. What's something you took away from our first month of this? Uh, I guess a little more work on my end because you know we're making headliners. Uh, you know the the pictures that's with the headliners. You know that's got to get edited. Uh, you know we'll be ramping up with the AFC East roundup as its own thing soon. So you know. Just stuff like that. That's a little bit more on my plate, which, hey, it's going to make me a better producer. So I'm all for it. I, that's one of the things I took away from this. I, I, I'll say this, Chris. I, in fact, I'll even talk about some of the pain points for me because I'm not embarrassed to admit to our listeners that even five years into this, I'm still a hack. How many of our listeners do their own podcasts, Chris? We've okay. met a bunch of them. Yeah. I'm still a hack going into year six of this. The pressure to execute really surprised me a little bit. I mean, we're used to just kind of freewheeling. Now we were forced to have some semblance of a plan. And I got to say, organization was a stumbling block out of the gate. Communication, I'll call it. And all of that combined with my lack of sleep produced some interesting results here in the studio. First of all, my attempt at doing live reads in a pre-recorded fashion showed me that I can't read. Chris, for a smart guy, I can't read out loud. Nobody's ever called you smart. (laughs) How many, how much blooper reel content exists now because of our attempts at trying to get those libraries out? I've been doing a lot more of that since, I think, since the, thank you, since the 200th episode. I've been saving a lot more off air stuff to be, to be used later. And (laughs) with as, uh, as many shows as we've been doing a week, you know, episode three hundred is not that far away. Oh no, God, I'm already I'm already worried about what's going to come out. There were a few nights here, Chris. And I think you can speak to this, where you and I spent half the show treating each other like Will Ferrell and John C. Riley and Step Brothers. Yes. <laughs> I mean, folks, I sometimes find myself giving Chris a hard time about something just to realize that the thing that I was yelling at him about or that I was frustrated about, I thought it. I just never actually said it out loud to him or put it on paper. How dare you not read my mind, Chris? It's kind of a a jerk-off thing to do, right? It's happened as long as I've known you. So this is the first time I've caught myself doing it. And then I also, like there was times where it almost reminded me of the the beds, you know, the, 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 the scene where John C. Riley and Will Ferrell are sleeping next to each other in bed. Just whispering terrible things to each other. Yeah. You looked at me. At one point, you looked at me deadpan and just called me just in the middle of recording. We had to go edit it out. 
we're just like you are a pile of garbage in a t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah, so you are. The one time you, 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 I said something to you. I asked you a question about a drop or something, and you shook your head. And when I asked you what you, what's up, what's your, what's your deal, in your monotone, dry fashion, just looked at me and said, I want to come over there and put you in the Taz mission, which I am assuming is a wrestling move. Yeah. Everyone knows Taz, ECW. It's like, the, what is it, like a rear naked choke kind of a. Yeah. He said, I, I'm gonna, I want to come over there and put you in the Taz mission until you stop making noise. Yeah. Yeah. Taz mission, million dollar dream. Oh, Chris, it hasn't, it wasn't easy. But I think we, I think we're getting better. I think the, the, the initial growing pains of that has made us better at this. I'd like to think so. Uh, yeah. I mean, we've been over five years, over 200 episodes. By now, we should at least know what we're doing. Ah, I mean, I know I do. I'll show you the definition of shit. Yes. But hey, we made it. Here's to the first month, Chris. And hopefully, many more with no bloodshed. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at zero and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code ROCKPILE or DealDash.FM slash ROCKPILE. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash ROCKPILE. Sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. And so with that, Chris, I want to jump into the segment that I've, I've decided to just call In Your Words. A few weeks ago, we promised that we weren't, we weren't always going to be making the show about us. And instead wanted to open it up to our listeners and fellow Bills fans from around the country and around the world just to kind of tell us their story and explain how they became a Bills fan and how we were lucky enough to have found our way into being a part of that. I like how you're going to start reading something that one of our listeners wrote considering you just said you don't know how to read. <laughs> it's going to be, listen, like I said, growing experiences here, right? We're, we're trying to illustrate growth, Chris. And I guess my thinking was everything, especially here in the U.S., everyone's so divided on everything. 
everything's divisive right now. And we can all use a little something just to find some common ground over and celebrate. Get to step outside of ourselves and maybe hear some voices and stories that we'll probably find aren't that much different from our own, even though they come from someplace halfway around the world. Now, you guys sent us a bunch, and I urge you to keep them coming. But this week, we're going to hear from Aussie Mike Swenson. <laughs> He's been listening to us for a while. He has. I still have that bottle of Bundaberg over on the counter. Bundaberg rum, which I guess isn't even really a fancy bottle of rum in Australia. From what I remember him telling me, it's like their house rum. Okay. So if you go to a bar and you just get a rum and Coke, Bundaberg's the, the house rum. Made with real sugar cane. And it, I only use it for special occasions, because when am I going to get another bottle? I don't know. But Chris, with a haircut like that, I would have assumed you're much fancier. Like, you would have fancy occasions all the time. I do have, yeah. I, well, I have fancy things. Bundaberg, <laughs> Utica Club. <laughs> oh. So, his story actually starts with his older brother. His older brother is, well, what, Chris, there's four of them now? I think there's four of the... Three or four of the Swenson brothers. Yeah, there, there are four of them. They're all over 6'2 and gorgeous. <laughs> so he starts off, it was at this time, Alec was in eighth, okay, so back in the late 80s, early 90s. Back in the late 80s, early 90s, there was no real news in Australia about the NFL. And obviously no internet, so it was, it was a difficult sport to be introduced to. There was a very small cult following, mainly expats, and the only news was scores in the newspaper and the occasional column. 1990 was the turning point for Australian NFL fans when a new show emerged every Monday night at 9.30 p.m. You could turn into ABC and an icon of Australian TV, Don Lane, who ran an NFL recap show. Don Lane was an American who moved to Australia and became a staple of our TV screens on a variety of shows. He would start every show with these immortal words. I'm Don Lane, and this is American football. It was at this time Alec was in grade 8. Now, I love, Chris, how foreign countries use grade 8 instead of 8th grade. Yes. Kind of like how we change the dates around. Yes. That right there jumps out to me. His circle of friends got into the show and the sport, so naturally they all had to pick a different team. They would play at lunchtimes down in the school oval in their long pants, button shirts, and ties. But why the Bills? One, loved the colors. Seemed to be common amongst foreigners who follow the Bills. They love the red, white, and blue. Two, there was a famous ice cream that Alec was a fan of called Bubble O Bill, which was a cowboy with chewing gum for a nose. No, I'm not kidding. So being a fan of the ice cream, he figured the Buffalo Bills were an obvious next step for a 12-year-old. Side note, apparently, Chris, they still make these things today. The ice cream? The ice cream. Jesus. Three, the 90s was a pretty good time to be a Bills fan. So back then, they got a lot of attention on the Don Lane show and the replays. They had a great team, and they were winners. That was where it started for him. We would all get together and watch the Super Bowls on Monday morning in Australia at any pub that would show it, and with the few strays who followed the sport. But his fandom was cemented even more with his first trip to a game in 2009. The first game Alec went to was the 50th year celebrations. His ex-wife's friend married an American from Buffalo, so they went over to visit and catch a game. And they really rolled up the red carpet and took him to the 50th year alumni celebrations at the Niagara Falls Casino. Obviously, he met a bunch of the Bills greats there, Thurman, Reed, etc. And on game day, he was invited to two tailgates. 
One was for the Bills alumni, and the other was organized by a fellow called Scott Dancy. He ends up meeting, he had an interesting meetup with Kent Hull at halftime of the game. They were in a private section with all the Bills' former players, and Hull was chatting to a bird at the bar. There again, Chris, sidebar, Australian dialect is friggin' great. Birds. Birds. Dames. Dames. (laughs) My mate. Uh, Alec walked up and tapped him on the shoulder and introduced himself and said that he was from Australia. Hull said he'd always wanted to go to Australia and ride his Harley. Alec invited him down and I'll host you and bizarrely, they exchanged numbers. Jesus. My fandom started a lot later. Whilst I used to watch the Super Bowls and get into the sport, I was preoccupied with Australian sports, in particular my rugby quote-unquote career. It wasn't until after I returned home after my four-year stint in London that I really started to pay more attention to the sport. Funnily enough, the first live NFL game I saw was from a box at Wembley Stadium in London. It was the Patriots versus the Buccaneers in 2009. Around 2011, Alec gifted me my first Bills jersey, Darius number 99. Even in Australia, much respect was garnished for supporting the Bills, a team that had been in the doldrums for so long. Usually the first question was, how the hell did you become a Bills fan? Most people here jump on the big market teams, the Cowboys, the Giants, or rode the coattails of recent success and hopped on the Patriots bandwagon. The Bills suited other teams I supported, just blue-collar battlers with a fanatical supporter base. 2013 was when my fandom jumped to the next level and my interest in the NFL went from curiosity to full-blown obsession. Alec, his now wife, my business partner, and his now wife and I headed off for a trip to the U.S. and a Bills home game. And that was the highlight of the itinerary. Truly, it was the people in Buffalo that won me over. I remember on the Saturday night before the game, we walked into a bar and a fellow was sitting there on a date and he heard us talking, turned around and asked us where the hell we were from. We told him we were Bills fans from Australia, and he insisted on buying us all shots, and his one-on-one date was over. And the seven of us sat there drinking for a few hours. Sure it wasn't me? (laughs) That's a Chris Kruger maneuver. You're like, wait a minute, I can get out of this date? Escape hatch! Again, the common question was always, how are you a Bills fan? It was a common theme for the trip. Everyone went out of their way to make sure we had a great time and rolled out the hospitality that Buffalo is renowned for. From then on, I basically absorbed as much Bill's content as I could. Each and every time I went back, 13, 14, 15, and 16, in 2018, and in 2019, it was the same experience. I always met up with a great group of people who treated me like they'd known us for years. I met some great Canadians and Americans through our association with the Bills, including meeting up with you and Chris in 2018 and 2019. I always tell people I would rather fly 20 hours to Buffalo to watch a Bills game than walk five minutes down the road to watch a rugby union game. The experience is that good. As my interest in the Bills grew, I was searching for more content to get me through the offseason in particular. I had never listened to podcasts before, so they weren't even on my radar. So the only thing I had time for content was One Bills Live. I know, forgive me for my ignorance. So it would have been the off-season of 2017 rolling into 18 when I found your podcast. It instantly grabbed me. I enjoyed the fan perspective of your show, your love for the Bills, and how it comes across in everything you do. That really resonates with me. But it's fandom with knowledge. You present a balanced appraisal of your team. 
you know what you're talking about, but there's that range of emotions that we all feel as Bills fans. We love the team so much that we get frustrated. We get hurt. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean that we love them any less. The team is a part of us. And that's why I reached out to you and Chris. I thoroughly enjoyed the podcast and it made me want to catch up with some genuine Bills fans who ride the emotional roller coaster that we all do supporting this team. We can't live the daily life of a Bills fan in Buffalo being so far away here in Australia, but the content you provide in each podcast make, makes me feel closer to the Bills community and far better informed about the game and the team. From that time in 2018, I feel a genuine friendship and appreciation for you and Chris and look forward to the next time we get to catch up. Ah, Chris? It's amazing that we get to connect with people all across the world. That, that blows my mind that someone who's traveled here, and Chris, it's not like we're the first Bills fans he's met. No. But now I talk to him you all the time. You wouldn't want to be the first Bills fan I meet. I would change <laughs> my allegiance immediately. Swenson and I talk all the time. I see the at DMs. Least, at, least con- at least consistently enough. Look, I, I, I've been keeping up with him and his new son. You know, we're both first time we're both first time fathers here now. He's probably better than you at it. <laughs> Chris. I'm pretty sure most people are better at this than me. As they are at most things. But that I'll tell you, meeting Swenson was a lot of fun. And I feel I feel like I we have this experience with so many of the listeners who come across. I mean, he brought his dad on that first trip in 2018. And I remember asking him. Do you think your father would want to meet a real NFL football player? I mean, we already had dinner plans with Reed. We just moved him to the Blackthorn. Yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing is, Chris, when we got there, I think his friends were waiting to see some hulking giant walk through the door. And when they realized that everybody in their crew from Australia was both taller and wider framed than Reed, I almost saw his father like unimpressed. Like, this is an American football player? I thought you guys were supposed to be big. All he does is snap a football between his <laughs> legs. It's just one of the funniest dynamics I've ever seen. <laughs> and of course, you know, Reed, he spends the whole night talking soccer with these guys. Yeah, yeah, clearly. And one of the coolest parts was Swenson brought me a Queensland Reds rugby kit. It's Chris, it's one of the most unique things I own. I, I sometimes... Better not hope Jack pukes on it. Oh, no, listen. I bust that thing out. There's only one time I wear it. It's on Saturday mornings at 3.20 a.m. when the Queensland Reds games kick off in Australia and I got to go upstairs and stream it on the ESPN uh, ESPN Plus app. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only time I'm like, all right, we're going to do this. We're rooting for the Reds, even though they are the Buffalo Bills of rugby. And I feel like now watching that rugby team play, I have an appreciation for Swenson as just a sports fan. He truly does love gritty Blue-collar teams that more often than not are probably going to take it in the teeth. But you're almost more excited for a win than a... You know what I mean? Yeah. The wins mean more. Last year, Chris, one of the funniest things is he came back to tailgate with us. Yeah. To attend at one of our tailgates. We gave him a Seagram's. He picked, they actually liked those. They liked Seagram's in Australia. Chris, can we talk about that for a second? I, don't, I mean, well, he did bring us, uh, what, Vegemite? He brought me Vegemite. You put a healthy, a healthy layer on a piece of bread. I'll tell you what, if, you, if they're feeding that, it's like a combination of peanut butter and burnt rubber 
And if you if that's what they're feeding their kids down there, it's no wonder they grow to be giants. Okay. He came to the game in November. Now, Chris, think about that. It was a nice day. That yeah. Denver game was a great day. Yeah, it was nice. Coming from Australia, where the heaviest coat anybody needs down there is a hoodie. They call them jumpers, by the way. We keep talking about this Australian dialect is fantastic. I love it. He swore that he wanted to experience a winter game. Afterwards, when he was back in my house, sitting in my basement, drinking beer and watching the Patriots game, he admitted that even a mild game like that, Chris, what would you say? High 30s? Low 40s? Yeah. Partly cloudy, but enough sun. In the, in the 40s. In the 40s. Nice breeze. Well, not to mention, uh, your dad had like that garbage bag of apparel, and you gave him that jacket. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, was, it was nice. But he said that that game was aggressively cold for his taste. And I had to tell him, I go, Swenson, if, if the 40s, if that's cold, something like that Colts fiasco in 2017 would kill you. Like You'd actually just die. Yeah. You'd die out here like the movie alive. It just really is thinking, Chris, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's crazy thinking about the connections we make and the people that we meet in the process of doing this podcast. It's kind of humbling. It really is. And it's interesting that even our personalities and your lack thereof resonate with the people who hear this enough that they genuinely want to come break bread and share a beer or five with us over the backdrop of this team and the game that we love. I think we're incredibly lucky, Chris. Yeah, we. Uh, it is. It's, it's amazing the reach that we have, and I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in the the travel ban for this season because I, correct me if I am wrong, but... Old man Terry White was supposed to come over for the home opener this year. I know. And tailgate with us. I love how you called him old man, and now I'm going to wake up and there's going to be an angry DM in our box. <laughs> well, no, it's not that. It's very impressive for an older an older man to be able to find podcasts and actively listen to podcasts. He's every. He's only. I think. He, I think he just turned like 68 or 69, 70. He's not yeah. dead. Oh yeah. Well, he's my parents' age, and every week I have to <laughs> I have to tell my parents how to listen to the podcast. Terry, if you're out he's, there listening, I do not co-sign any of this. All I'm saying is, for Terry's age, he is way technologically more advanced than most people his age. <laughs> it's a backhanded compliment if I've ever heard one. It's the perfect note to end this on. Mike, cheers to you, and cheers to all of our listeners wherever you may hail from. Give us a shout. Chris, let's hit everybody with the Bills News Update. Defensive tackle Ed Oliver's charges have been dropped. Chris? Yes. Free at last! Free at last! Ed Oliver goes scot-free. Cool. How rosy is that for the Buffalo Bills? I mean, that was probably the one dark cloud hanging over the star. No one was really talking about it. It was one of those stories that kind of died on the vine. Well, he's still going to get suspended, right? Next season? There's no charges. It doesn't matter. NFL is... They investigate it, but if there's no, but if there's no charges. No. If you copped a plea, Chris, if you copped a plea, here's the understanding of the rules that pretty much everyone's agreed on. If you cop a plea deal to a crime, the NFL still has the ability to investigate it and impose sanctions. But if the police themselves declare that no crime was committed, 
no crime, and they let you walk scot-free, there's nothing to investigate. I don't think that that's correct. That's my personal opinion. I'm quite confident that you can get suspended just for being accused of something and no charges coming from it. I'm 100% positive on that. Google that. 100% positive. Seagram's bet. Shake on it. Uh, Yeah, well, we got 72. Uh, Yeah, there we go. We got 72 of them. We got 72 in the fridge. So while you look that up, the charges have been dropped for Ed Oliver after it seems like his traffic stop had no hard evidence of any kind of wrongdoing, which seems odd. I mean, the speculation was that he was pulled... The police report stated that he was pulled over for what was reported as reckless driving. And then they found a beer between his legs. And then he was roadside sobriety tested and subjected to a blood test. The blood test came back negative. His field sobriety test was passed. And Chris, stop me if I'm wrong here, but if he, if there was an open container... With the weapon in the car. That was the reason for the charges and like the most severe of the charges in the first place. If he had had an open container in the car with a weapon, it's, a, it's an immediate crime. You can't have alcohol around guns. I mean, I know that. You can't. It's why, it, it's why <laughs> it, there's a lot of reasons why I keep my firearms locked up. It's why I do. Because you can't have them on or around your person. Chris, this isn't the Wild West. It's the reason you can't go into a bar with a gun. That becomes a crime. Even if it's just, uh, even if you have a carry permit, you can't bring it in with you because that's, they can't have this. There's no horses and cowboys and things of that nature. The fact that they dropped all charges means that this idea that there was a quote unquote beer can between his legs may not actually be accurate. And so with that, I think that one of the last black clouds that was hanging over this kind of run-up to the offseason for the Buffalo Bills, I think we can say we kind of dodged a bullet here. Yeah, we could have. I mean, I don't... Any luck here? I'm... Oh, somebody's somebody's struggling. I'll give you to the end of the podcast to come up with your evidence here. All right. If not, you drink that before we finish recording. So, with that said... Chris, there's nothing stopping this team from... I mean, think about it. There's, there what, three players were already placed in the commissioner's exempt list in the last 72 hours? DeAndre Baker and Quinton Dunbar of the Seahawks and the Giants, who are both appealing, but they're both under investigation for armed robbery. Uh, Cody Latimer, a wide receiver who I think... He was with the Giants. I don't know who he signed with now. He's under investigation because apparently he... What, assault... Aggravated assault. Either way, we're heading into the offseason with a roster pretty much intact and no drama. No cloud hanging. Do you remember the shady stuff with LaShawn McCoy heading into that offseason? Oh, yeah, with the Philadelphia Bar? Yeah. Yeah. Chris, is that the last time... That we've gone into a that we've gone into a season. Probably, this kind of works. As I hand you the Seagram's classic lime margarita, this from SB Nation says Elliot was accused but never charged with domestic violence and gave him a six, got a six game suspension. So there is your see that looks delicious. So let me know how that you open that. Yeah, read that right there. Elliot was accused of but never charged with domestic violence. 
More than a year later, the NFL gave him a six-game suspension. God. You do know domestic violence is a hot-button issue for the NFL, especially at that time. Yes, it is. But okay. I, I know for a f- I, I swear I knew that. Okay, how about this? I'll drink this one. I want you to open that right now. Here's what we're going to do. I'll drink this now. But if he's not suspended next year, you give me three. I'll just give you one. Oh, no. I want triple because I want interest. I want interest on this Seagrams that you should be drinking right now. All right. Ah, <laughs> it's recorded on audio. It, it got recorded, right. Chris, which means it's forever. All right. I'll write it down on the Seagrams board. God. It's classic, a classic lime margarita. Lime margarita. I, we've never... Yeah, you just chug that. We've never... I've never bought that before, so it came in the 12-pack that I had put in somebody's refrigerator. I can't remember can't remember whose it was. <gasps> there you go. Nice down the hat. What did it taste like? Because oh. <laughs> yeah. we've never, yeah, we've never, I've never bought the classic lime margarita. How was it? On a scale of one to amazing, how was this? I can't see. You have diabetes? No, it's like I got pepper sprayed. Have. Like that. It's so fake lime tasting, Chris. <laughs> You gotta wash it down with the Utica. Yeah, with the, the Utica old UC. Oh my God, that's the most white trash combination of drinks. So obviously, Ed Oliver being free is big for our front seven, Chris. Yeah, because he's looking to build off of what he accomplished last year. He really kind of—you saw him kind of come on later in the year, which I speculated all along was going to be a problem. I said they needed to ramp him up. They didn't. And you saw it take him a while to figure out pass rush in the NFL. Because, you know, you're not playing against Rice. You're not yeah. playing against Rice anymore. Well, we've, we've had that chart on our, our Twitter feed a couple of times of the rookie snap counts. I mean, mm-hmm. unless you're absolutely needed like Zay Jones was or Trey White, you're getting ramped up. And then towards the last half of the season, you get in your, you're getting your snap count. And he, and he kind of came on. And now the Bills are really kind of banking on him playing a role this year. I'm just happy to hear that this is all said and done. I mean, Chris, I think one of the biggest takeaways and the thing that makes this conversation worthy, though, about him as a person. Today, there was a video of Ed Oliver riding his horse through Orchard Park. <laughs> riding his horse through Orchard Park. Now, I'm not saying the guy shouldn't do that. Go, hey, listen, have fun. I guess, I mean, I guess you can't knock the guy. But also, did you learn nothing from OJ? Don't pull an OJ here. Beat the first case, only get knocked for something else. You're riding around your neighborhood at a somewhat fast clip on a horse. That's- Chris, I just, it's Orchard Park. I could see if you lived out in the Boston Hills. I, I, when I'm going to tell you, I have seen that before. You know, sometimes on like Sundays, a lazy sun, lazy Sunday mornings, the ex-wife would be like, "I want some Tim Hortons," and there was a Tim Hortons down on Boston State Road by the 219. And a handful of times, I pull in there with my sweet 08 Mazda 3, and there is a horse and buggy in the drive-through. I shit you not, horse and buggy in the drive-through. I've seen it multiple times. Could have been Ed Oliver. We don't know. He could do that. Oh, all I know is we're happy to have him cleared. But for the love of God, watch your horse, Ed. Uh, Chris, horse riding. Do they even allow that anymore? I thought that they, with this COVID stuff and with 
new contract. I thought these guys get bubble wrapped. No, I mean, unless it's like a provision in his contract. I could see that. I you know, all kinds of provisions out here. Yeah, I could see Bean doing that. Hey, Ed, you stay off your horse. <laughs> stay off your horse in the <laughs> suburbs. <laughs> Jesus. Ed, be safe out there. Chris, we toast the man. So with that, folks, to get into some actual football talk here tonight, the hot story of the day, the NFL opt-out deadline is rapidly approaching. We've got some trend analysis and what it means for the Buffalo Bills. The biggest story of the day in the NFL is that as this window is finally opened up for players to formally opt out, Chris it was all quiet on the Western Front for probably about a week since the team came, since the teams and the players came to an agreement to start the preseason program. It was just quiet. You didn't hear any of this. I think uh, Duvernay Tardif, Doctor Duvernay Tardif, was the first one to really make headlines by opting out. But then, aside from him, you didn't hear about any of this. And then today. There was fireworks as a wave of players publicly announced their intent to park it for 2020, hit the skids, and ply their trades again in 2021. Now, here's what I know about the policy as it's been advertised. First, the players have to give their notice before August 1st that they did not wish to take part in the upcoming 2020 season. The players also have to differentiate whether it's due to a medical hardship or whether it's just a lack of comfort in playing the game under the current atmosphere as part of their declaration. Because, Chris, it affects the way they get paid. It affects their benefits. It affects their contract status. There's a, there's a big gray area there. I mean, just to clarify for the layman here with his blonde mohawk, if you were opting out on the grounds that you have a medical condition that makes it life-threatening for you to contract COVID. Yep. You opting out, the league is going to give you more money. You get a higher stipend. The players get 150000 if they opt out on their own, just for the sake of it. Three hundred and fifty if it's a medical hardship. And from a contract perspective, that's where this gets interesting. And what's probably a move to stop players from gaming the system here and trying to get the free agency faster. If you declare and you have a legitimate medical hardship, your contract will pull forward one year. All right. You'll accrue that extra year of service. But if you don't, your contract still moves, but you don't get an extra year counted towards your approach to free agency. It's a mechanism built into this to discourage young players from saying, I'll take some free cash and I'll sit here and next year I'll be a free agent. No, you're going to have to play for that. The NFL is not going to let... Chris, the NFL is not going to give up that much control over players. They're just not. Yeah. And then opt-outs cannot be rescinded once they're tendered. There's no, there's no takesies-backsies here. So... When you think about what that means for these players, you're essentially foregoing millions of dollars in the face of COVID-19 to say, I, I just don't feel safe doing this. And it's a big decision, but I understand why some guys might feel like they have to make it. Guys with families, guys with new children, guys who maybe are concerned about some of their health issues. I remember Patrick Peterson 
at one point, talking about the fact that he's diabetic. And he's like, I don't know enough about COVID. Is that something that's going to affect me? Because if so, if it's not safe for me to play football, I, I got a decision to make. Yeah, you could call a doctor and figure all that out. <laughs> I mean, on its face right off, this, this opting out of the season, it has the ability to dramatically change the complexion of the NFL and the NFL's competitive balance. Would you agree with that, Chris? Yes, it does. Okay. So I, I, one of the things I've taken away since I'm trying to be a more active listener of myself here, total sidebar, I ask, I ask for people's opinions, and I use the same phrase every time. What do you say, ultimately? No, I have a crutch. Is it, is, is, I'd ask, like, is that right? Or is that correct? Or would you agree? Would you agree is probably the most egregious one I've ever used. I need you to get on me, producer Chris. Come on. Now, ultim- everybody would know that you say ultimately way too much. <laughs> I'm the ultimately warrior. Someone yeah. tweeted that at us. I died. Yeah, you are the <laughs> ultimately wa- warrior with bigger tits. <laughs> so, when I think about this, Chris, I'm thinking about my fantasy football league, for example. Yep. I talked to the guys that I run it with, and I had to tell them, look, guys, I- I'll start the league up. It's an expensive league. It's a $250 buy-in. Do you guys genuinely want to wager money on this? Not knowing what the hell's going to happen here over the course of the next six months. Chris, do you want to play fantasy? Think about how volatile, just from a fantasy football perspective, the upcoming NFL season can be. Yeah. You, You have your lineup in, or at least you've drafted a team. The guys you have are the guys you have. Mid-season, something happens, and your guy, he he attended a family function with somebody who was infected with COVID, and he has to be quarantined. Yeah. You lose Lamar Jackson, and now your backup quarterback is Case Keenum. Well, first of all, I wouldn't draft Jackson. No, because he doesn't throw the ball. No, I have a brain. No, but I get that. You know, if you have Mahomes as your QB, and he gets COVID, you know, because he... Are you going to feel a certain kind of way if you lose because of that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I could see that happening week six, you know, Kansas City flies in and Mahomes goes to Chippewa and gets COVID. You mean Yings? Yeah, he could. <laughs> Yings is definitely a breeding ground for COVID-19. Oh, God, Hep C, COVID-19, divorces, Yings is a breeding ground for everything. So... But think about that. So if fantasy football, this arbitrary game that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, is that convoluted and is that highly impacted by COVID-19, what are these players what are, what are these players signing up for over the course of this season? Their availability is going to be completely out of their control. And so you see players who are already seeing that coming on the horizon and just saying, nah, nah, I'm good. I'll just sit this. I'll sit this one out. Now, Chris, as always, to discuss this in more detail, I have a chart. <laughs> yep. Can you describe for the listeners what I have parked in front of you? It's basically a list of everybody that has opted out in the AFC. Because let's face it, I don't give a damn about the NFC. The NFC can do what it wants. No, because it, it doesn't that, matter. To it me. doesn't matter. You know. You could go 4-0 against the NFC North and then go 9-7. and And what do those four games get you when it comes to a tiebreaker? Nothing. Thank you, St. Doug. Six, 
I see six Patriots here. So the division is ours as long as there's football <laughs> is what you're trying to tell me. Because of the Patriots, you got Chung, Bolden, Hightower, Marcus Cannon. But let's look at some of the other names here, though. I mean, when you break this chart down, Chris, and folks, yes, I will be tweeting this out at Rock Power Report so I can give you up because we're talking about something visual on a podcast. I will make it available to you. But some early trend analysis when you look at the players who have already made the decision not to play in 2020. First and foremost, Chris, there's a 14 players on this list. It's an even split between starters and backups. Seven, seven players are starters. Seven of them are backups. Special teams players. That kind of limits the damage done to their individual rosters, doesn't it? It does. I mean, depending on what team you are. <laughs> depending on what team you are and where they come from. Then, when you think about that, it seems like this line of thought, if you figure it's evenly split between starters and backups, that this line of thinking isn't just, it's not limited to one group of NFL players. One tier, one veteran group, one specific subset of players. It seems to be evenly spread between all players, right? Yeah. Okay. So at least you know the concern is there from young players just getting into the league, backup players who are kind of journeymen, to established veterans, kind of guys that their team knows or they know that their team is leaning on. Another thing that I, I kind of I can't help but think. There's a guy that we know, Chris. You've met him a couple times, actually, even though you probably don't remember it. His name is Malachi. Malachi's great. He holds a doctorate from Carnegie Mellon. He is currently a one of the, what I think, senior data analysts at Roswell Institute here in Buffalo for cancer research. He ta- he's talked about this ad nauseum, about this idea. I'm, I've, I've known him for a while. He's <laughs> the ex that's responsible for our friendship. I met him through her. Oh, wow. He's over and over and over again has brought up this point that Americans aren't as healthy as we think we are. And when you look at the data and the way that COVID has impacted our society and the subsets of people that it seems to be latching onto, one of the things that seems to be fueling this is that the people who genuinely on a day-to-day basis think they're okay might not be as healthy as they give themselves credit for. And then in the spectrum of overall health, we as Americans have a hard time actually finding where we belong on that. So when you think about that, Chris, I mean, think, Chris, I know a guy, I work with him. I, he's overweight. He smokes. He's overweight, he smokes, he has a poor diet. He's talked openly about the fact that he has, oh yeah, my doctor is a little bit mad because my blood pressure is high. He said something about triglycerides the one time, which is blood sugar, essentially. Or I think that's, no, triglycerides is liver fat. It's like, you're not not a healthy individual. But his attitude towards COVID-19 is that, well, I'm not on meds, and my doctor doesn't yell at me every time I see him, so I must be healthy. Chris, there's a huge differentiation between that person and a truly healthy individual. Malachi's point 
when you look at the makeup of this group of players who have opted out, there's a couple things that jump out to me. There's a huge number of offensive linemen and defensive linemen by comparison to any other position. Chris, if I look at it, out of the 14 players who have opted out, what is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine of the 14 play in the trenches. You're talking about individuals that by nature of the requirements of their position carry around a significant amount of body mass. I mean, they have muscles, Chris, and they can run, but that doesn't equate to health. No, it doesn't. I mean, technically, I'm obese. Yeah, we know. <laughs> ah, what a dick! <laughs> technically, if you go by the scale of things, I'm obese. You know, never mind the fact that my blood pressure, blood sugar, triglycerides, everything's perfect. Well, my blood pressure runs a little high, but that's because... Your teeth aren't. That's... <laughs> Well played, sir. Put it up. <laughs> I'll drink to that. But but seriously, I fall into this category of people who I'm I'm relatively healthy. There's a lot of people my age, my size, varying who aren't, even though they're in better quote unquote shape than me. These linemen technically fit that category, although I'll never say it to any of their faces. I'm not going to go tell them, hey, you're technically obese. Not a chance. Think I can fold. Chris, any one of the guys on this list could fold me up and put me inside of a child's lunchbox. Yeah. But the problem with carrying around that much mass means you probably have some blood pressure issues, or at least you're in danger of it. You're more respiratory problems, heart, long-term heart problems, just from the overuse of it, trying to pump blood through that massive body of yours. I mean, you think about it, defensive tackle Michael Pierce from the Vikings. He fits the category of high-risk individuals just by nature of his size and his health history. It would seem like, I don't know, a lot of guys in his position would have some pause about this. It also doesn't hurt that he did just sign a very lucrative, unrestricted free agent contract with the Vikings that came with a bunch of guaranteed money. And I guess that's one of the other things. I mean, Chris, I'm not a patient man, so I don't like repeating myself. Anybody who's ever worked with me or had to be in a room with me for more than 20 minutes probably already knows that. So with that in mind, here's something I said last week in our discussion with Rock Sports Network's Ryan Lacell about the types of players that could decide to opt out as we broke down the opening of NFL training camps. You sign the deal, you have a contract, but we've seen contracts, I mean, in the NFL, until they get fully guaranteed contracts, they're not worth the paper they're written on. Teams will cut you. They'll be shrewd. What it is is that he, Micah Hyde has now established his value in the NFL. If, he, if the Buffalo Bills were to move on from Micah Hyde for whatever, for any reason, he would have a job making pretty much what he's making now somewhere in the NFL. Someone would bring him in to do his current job at roughly about what he's making. He's established his own value. The problem is, is that there's a thousand other players who haven't. And those are the guys that are going to be kind of, I don't want to say balking at this, but that might be willing to push some of this. That was you last week. Folks, if you want to hear the rest of that, go back and check out our podcast from last week. But Chris, when you take that into account, this concept that 
it's not it's the older guys, the guys who have already made their bones and established what they're worth at an NFL level that are going to be opting out. Tell me this chart that I've just parked in front of you doesn't bear that out. It does. Um, Chung opted out because he can make more money trafficking coke. <laughs> Those are unsubstantiated rumors, Chris. You can't throw around slander like that. We're oh, profe- well. Hey, we're professionals now. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, in all seriousness, though, Chris, when you look at the chart, the average experience... That's factoring in all of the players, including the what the two There's, undrafted yeah. free agent rookies who opted out, and the 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 lineman Lars, for the Jets. The lineman for the Jets, Coleman, not going to be in the NFL for very long. He's he's got one snap or he, zero snaps. He's got one, one season of NFL experience and zero snaps to his name. So even with those three players taken into account, the average experience of the players leaving the NFL this year, just just as of tonight, is 6.9 years. Chris, (laughs) these are guys who are already past the career establishment point of an NFL career, and they're already looking into beyond their life after sports. Are you surprised that these are the guys making that decision? Oh, not really. No, no one should be. There's also this. From Buffalo Bills offensive guard Jonathan Feliciano. He put on Twitter today a pair of tweets that I'm going to read off to you here. The first one he said was, The reason a lot of players are opting out, besides health reasons, is if you have a lot of guaranteed money this year and the season is canceled, they risk losing a lot of that money. So somebody asked him the question, doesn't the money go to the following year in 2021? And Feliciano's response was they do not add the money, only guarantee the amount to exist, only guarantee the amount to existing number. So if your contract is two years, eight mil, and you guaranteed four mil in year one, and they canceled the season halfway through, two mil of your next season is guaranteed. So you lose two million dollars at the end of the day. Chris, that's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, that's a player openly talking about the constructs and how this impacts players financially. Yeah, but how many players have developed a certain living lifestyle? I understand. That they need to keep up with. I understand. But but if you listen to what he's saying here, (laughs) if you have a ton of guaranteed money this year, and you're not certain... If you don't trust the NFL's policies and procedures enough that it's going to go through to a full season and you're going to get all of your guaranteed money, or at least you're going to see your, you're going to see this thing through. I don't know. You only, he's right. You only stand to lose money at that point. It's guaranteed to you in your contract. And if your contract's not going to toll, then you might as well just take it off because you're going to be working for something that if it gets canceled halfway through, you don't get any more money. You just worked a whole bunch of games and only put a small dent in what they ultimately owe you. And then you're going to end up working next year on a full game schedule, hopefully. Allegedly. Allegedly, at a discounted rate. That's a huge factor in this. And I think that's why when you see the list, Chris, and you see some of the names that are popping up on here, and you realize that these are guys like Andre Smith, 
the offensive tackle for Baltimore. Um, when you're looking at uh, like Star Lotulule here for the Buffalo Bills, these are guys who are on what, Chris? Their second contract for Star. It's a second contract with a contract revision. Yeah, his contract has already been revised once. He already sees the end of the road. What does he have to gain? You know what I mean? Yeah. What I like about the makeup of the Buffalo Bills this year is that they have a large number of players that are either, like Feliciano, still trying to establish that long-term value in the league. Or, like Starr, they have a couple who have made their bones and are probably eyeing the end of the road. Now, you can't discount that financial aspect of things. But luckily for us as fans, as I said last week in our podcast, the core of our team is all pretty much firmly in that group of guys who's still trying to establish their value. And because of that, I don't expect to see a lot of opt-outs for the yeah. Buffalo Bills from premier positions or important players. Hey, you, you wouldn't see Trey White try to opt out. I mean, no, he's, looking he's to get, on the verge yeah. of getting paid. Yeah, he's on the verge of getting that money. The big question now is going to be, how many more guys are going to make the call to opt out? How does that shift competitive balance across the league? I mean... Obviously, if a big-name player, specifically a quarterback, were to opt out, it could shift the landscape of a division, right? Correct. Think about the AFC West. Right now, what do we know about the AFC West? The 49ers... That Kansas City will win it. Oh, the NFC. NFC West. NFC West. All right. The... the 49ers are pretty good. Yep. They went to the Super Bowl. Yep. But they made the Super Bowl with their quarterback through nine passes. That's how good their team is. Yeah, if Jimmy to... Garoppolo goes down, that team is good enough to get over the hump. Yeah. The exact inverse of that would be the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, Russell Wilson gets injured. Russell Wilson is... season's over. He's that whole team. He's all of their... I think not this past season, but the season before, he accounted for all but three of their touchdowns. Seems about right. That's horrifying. Yeah. It speaks to how talented he is. Now... Russell Wilson's one of those players who was really vocal about player safety before all the announcements regarding training camp that were discussed in our last podcast came out. He was talking about how if it's not safe, we're not going to play. Chris, if he still doesn't feel safe and he opts out, who are they going into the season with? It doesn't matter at this point. Their team just becomes an afterthought in that division. Todd Gurley apparently is mulling the concept of sitting out. Again, another guy who, like Russell Wilson, has already gotten paid. If he does, it would leave the Falcons without a running back number one. I mean, a guy named Quadri Hill would be their starter. What do you know about a Quadri Hill? Well, if you spelled his name correctly, then I wouldn't trust anybody that has three E's at the end of their name. His name's Quadri. I don't know. (laughs) I, spe- I heard it, and I spelled it like I thought it sounded. My bad. And then as you heard A.J. Hawk commenting on in the intro of the show, you already have something of a seismic shift here in the AFC East, as the New England Patriots players do seem to have gotten together and made a group decision to skip 2020. Now, one of the things that I wanted to discuss with you, Hawk makes a comment about the players, quote-unquote, not taking this lightly and that they probably did communicate about their feelings prior to making the decision. 
Do you think that's something Bill Belichick would have co-signed? Probably. I mean, he's going to need a future quarterback. <laughs> so you're one of these people. You're one well, of these people who's buying into this narrative that, oh, this is the Patriots trying to game the system. Probably. I mean, they are cheaters. <laughs> this is why I love you, Chris. They're known cheaters. When you look They're at the- my ex-wife of football teams. <laughs> known cheaters. When you look at the players, Chris, I'm going to take, uh, take my spreadsheet here that I sent, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to filter it. I'm going to look at just the AFC East. When I look at the Patriots players that opted out, there is a thread here, a common thread, right? They mostly fit the mold of the player we discussed as potential opt-out candidates last week, before any of this was even news. How much do you think their decision was helped? I mean, you're talking about Donta Hightower, the captain of that defense at linebacker. You're talking about Patrick Chung, who's been, Chris, essentially the as a strong safety, he's been in the Patriots system for so long. He's pretty consistent. He's consistent as hell. When you look at those two guys, Marcus Cannon, an offensive tackle so talented they gave him starter money and moved him up to the starting right tackle. When you see these guys just decide, you know what, I'm going to pack it in for the year. How much do you think this had to do with the Patriots' ability to compete in 2020 compared to the level that those players maybe have gotten used to over the last decade of service. I don't know. I expect the Patriots to I expect the Patriots to fall off regardless of these players being on the team. Everyone and does. Now that they're not playing, I I would expect the Patriots to do a lot worse. Chris, it's let me tell you how bad it is. We ran it down ad nauseum over the last few months. In terms of all the stats and all the accolades that the Patriots lost in free agency and retirement this offseason. Today, I read that statistically, no NFL team has lost what the Patriots have in a single offseason on defense. Just between last offseason and this one? Since 2002-2003. And that was before the productive vets Hightower and Chung hit the skids this morning. Chris... You're talking about the... Chris, the only reason the Patriots made the playoffs last year was because of elite defensive play. If you take that out of the equation, what could you be looking at? Jesus, maybe. It four, sounds and like tw- a, four and 12, 5 and 11? Like a, it sounds like a bloodbath waiting to happen. Yeah. Chris, I, did, you, did you hear that? I, I don't know. I... I, I mean, I think it's the sound of New England fans realizing what their team consists of right now. I've had it with this dump. We've got no food. We've got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> so now, while people speculate about whether or not this is a ploy by Billy B to tank for quarterback Trevor Lawrence next season... I'm more concerned about 2020 and what this means for the Bills and competitive balance in the AFC East. By comparison to that bloodbath, the Bills have so far only lost the oldest and least dynamic defensive tackle on our roster. Miami 
has yet to have an opt-out despite playing in one of the most COVID-ravaged areas of the country. The New York Jets may have lost their best player this weekend as he shot everybody the double middles on his way out of town. Chris, that Jamal Adams trade was just... It was a symphony to watch happen to a different team. Yeah. It was wildly entertaining. The video that he put on Instagram while he was playing dominoes, smoking a cigar, partying, having a good time, talking about how happy he was to be going to the Seahawks. Yeah, he gets to play for a real coach. Can you imagine how much shit we would have taken as a Bills fan base if that was our star player on Instagram? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's a damn shame. A damn shame. But they're still a relatively strong front seven. And their team has some things. I mean, they have Sam Darnold, the guy that you feel so strongly about. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, disappointing that you, you get one of the best quarterbacks coming out of college and you can't build around him anywhere, skill position or in the trenches. They're going to Andrew Luck this guy, aren't they? They're either going to Andrew Luck him or he'll be the next Jamal Adams and <laughs> he'll just ask for a trade and or he just won't re-sign with them. Is he going to give him the LeBron? Like he's going to hold a special and then go, hey, I'm taking my I'm taking my talents to South Beach. Oh yeah, he'll go. I'm taking my talents to L.A. I'll play for the <laughs> play for the uh, Rams or the Chargers or whoever. Uh, so I guess here's my questions for you, Chris. When we think about this, the Jets, Miami, the fact that the Bills really haven't been affected by this. I've already gone on record in saying that the Bills were the best positioned entering the season in terms of continuity and overall talent in the division. And that we were in a good position because of the makeup of our roster to have players that wouldn't opt out. In fact, maybe we were heading into this as just hands down, de facto, the the team in the best position entering 2020 in the AFC East. Does today's announcements do anything to make you feel stronger about that? Uh, It's going to be a little bit weird in January if we're allowed to to attend that home playoff game. (laughs) You just spilled Utica Club on your Sam Adams shirt. <laughs> yeah. You said home playoff game, and I just I, I laughed involuntarily. Yeah, that's a real thing. You're, all, you're very cocky, sir. When you look at the AFC East, no matter what Vegas might have previously believed, do you think things have changed in terms of the Bills' direct competition for the AFC East title? This is where this conversation gets interesting. Does the road to a home playoff game still go through Foxborough in your mind, knowing what we know now about everything that this team has lost leading up to this and now with the opt-outs and what they're going to be kind of limping into training camp with? Absolutely not. Okay, so the, they're still public enemy number one in your mind? The, well, the, the playoffs are not going through Foxborough. They're going through Tushy Stadium. God. Or whatever it's going to get called this year. Peg's Field. So you think that the Bills are that far and away the best? Yeah. All these teams. With what the Patriots lost in free agency and through, you know, this opt-out, they're hurting. If they, if they do well enough to make the playoffs, it, it's, that's all on Belichick and his coaching ability. 
I wonder how much he knew about this. You know, when you hear AJ Hawk talking about them, talking about this idea and how it, it had to be a group decision. When you hear this many guys opting out all on the same day, they must have talked about it. They must have talked about what it meant to them, what it meant to each other. Chris, does it surprise you that a bunch of guys who already have Super Bowl rings have decided that there's nothing left for them to chase? No, it's not surprising at all. They have the money, they have the rings. Why wouldn't they take off? I got the fame, got the money, the Denali's, <laughs> sex on the rig. Oh my god. All the things you want. Oh, it's at uh, Eastbound and Down. He's <laughs> explaining to uh, the principal there how he has everything. <laughs> Jesus. Here's what I know. When I look at this, I, Chris, I almost, I look at Miami. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I look at a Miami Dolphins team that went into Foxborough last year and beat the Patriots. I look at what the Patriots have lost and what Miami has gained. Flores looks like a coach on, on the come up. Almost in the same way Sean McDermott did. Think about it. You never hear any rah-rah nonsense from Brian Flores. No, you don't. No, what you get is a well-coached football team. A team that even though we, we had the one game where we blew them out, but they hung around until the third quarter. Yep. There was another game where it took, Chris, it took until the fourth quarter for us to pull away from them. At home. They came on the road with, with Ryan Fitzpatrick and gave us fits. If Tua Tagovailoa really is an upgrade over Ryan Fitzpatrick and he acclimates quickly to their system, that team, with all of the money that they put into that defense, they could quickly be threatening. I, I think we genuinely have to give some credence to this idea that at least for 2020, and maybe even beyond that. Yeah, I do like that Miami's getting better, but based on the COVID circumstances, I don't. I can't really buy into them developing chemistry from OTAs not happening, everything being virtual. You know, it'd, okay. be, it'd be different if COVID wasn't a thing. Then I'd put more into Miami being better. But the chemistry, I, I just look at this and I think about who we match up best with. Bill Belichick has our number. Doesn't matter how many times we play him. He knows the Buffalo Bills better than we know ourselves. Miami. We have Miami's number. We just have. Yeah. That's been our thing. I question whether or not Miami's roster right now, I think they'd manhandle the Patriots. Cam Newton, Jared Stidham, doesn't matter. Quarterback controversy aside in Foxborough, I think that there's a shift happening here in the AFC East with this, and I guess that's the point I want to close on. The Buffalo Bills are still the far net. Chris, the Buffalo Bills are the Far and away, the favorites. They have to be now, right? Yeah. Vegas, you're going to see those odds. Hopefully, people got in on the Bills when they were the underdogs to the Patriots after the Cam Newton signing because all of that went out the window this afternoon. Chris, I bet you if you pull up a sports book right now, if you went to betonline.ag, you would find out that the Buffalo Bills have some probably are favored in a lot of capacities. Yeah, I can see that now. So with that said, it's going to be interesting, Chris. Incredibly interesting. We have a few days left to see how this opt-out process continues to kind of take away from rosters. I'm not worried. Are you? 
Not really. No, our team is deep enough. Yep. I mean, think about it. We lost Starla Tulele. What did we lose? We lost the least impactful defensive tackle on our roster. Yeah, we lost a guy that looks like he works for a moving company. <laughs> Why do you not like guys with beards? I know. I just remember his introductory press conference. Like He looked like he would be the driver of a straight truck that delivers you a washer and dryer. <laughs> I dare you to say that to his face. All right. <laughs> I look at the Buffalo Bills and I say to myself, this is a team that's deep. You want to take away a player or two? That's fine because it's, that's, Chris, we don't have a ton of all-stars. We have a few that tent pull this roster from one position to the next. And then what we have is just a lot of depth and a team that plays their, to Sean McDermott's, his mantra, you do your 111th. Everybody yeah. shows up, you do your 111th, we win football games. This team embodies that more than any other team in the division at this point. And with today's news and the losses sustained across the division, I don't know how anyone stops us. And I, Chris, I really don't. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out over the next few weeks. We'll have more clarity on this. It's going to be an interesting time to be a fan to see where players' heads are at and how secure they are in the NFL's COVID response plans. For us, this has been fun. Chris, it's a night for you and me to just sit here, drink, and spitball about football, about podcasting, about, I don't know. I like this. There's light. Yeah, and also your inability to read, and then also, based on this, your inability to write. Yeah. Oh, no. next week, we will finish out our training camp preview series with Greg Thompson, whose name you spelled wrong, from (laughs) Cover1.net. Oh, Greg Thompson is going to be joining us for the final installment of our training camp preview series where we're going to be talking about the defensive line, a unit that I think is going to play an incredible amount of importance in the overall success of that defense and maybe the entire team, Chris. Think about it. We're one strong defensive line with the secondary that we have in place, one strong front seven performance away from being the best defense in football. This offense can surely win some games on the back of that, right? Allegedly. But it's going to be up to them to do a lot of that transformative... I'm I'm already getting... My palms are getting sweaty just thinking about it. I can't wait. Greg Thompson of Cover One is going to be joining us. Next week, we're also going to be launching into our AFC East Roundup Training Camp Edition. Kind of a know-thy-enemy sort of approach to the offseason. We're going to be bringing in podcasters from around the AFC East to talk to us about their teams and what their storylines are going to be as the offseason commences. Chris, it's going to be a great time. I urge our listeners to continue sending us your submissions for the In Your Words segment. You can send them to us, rockpilereport716 at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter, at rockpilereport. But guys, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger, and this, it's been the Rockpile Report.